So I want to put up a picture here. So this is a few, about a month ago, six weeks ago, we went down to Peru. And in Peru, what we did is we built these cooey cages. So cooey are guinea pigs. And to be clear, they're not pets. They're on the menu as a mainstay down in Peru. Uh, it's a delicatessen. They like eating guinea pig down there. They're easy, they're cheap, and they produce rapidly. So don't judge me. I'm just passing along information. Now, this is one of our tasks when we were down there in Peru, and we're working with uh, Milton, and he's the uh, handyman for the orphanage. And I'd worked with Milton before, uh, several years ago, building kitchens for the dorms around there. Now, as we were beginning this project, I began to realize that I don't think Milton had ever built guinea pig cages before. And so we were trying to get all the material together, trying to put this together and um, build, put these, uh, build these for the orphanage there. Now, having been in Peru before, I kind of knew the Peruvians' affinity for Cui. But what I didn't realize up until this moment is that everyone in Peru, and I mean everyone, has an opinion about Cui. I mean, every step of the way, someone had an opinion, whether it was how they were built, um, we, how we built these, um, this is where the excrement, or they call it poofy, comes out. That's a new word for y'all, so you can learn today. Uh, you know, how they were divided, how, you know, underneath, how it was uh, either mesh or we put, should put wood, how they should raise, what color they should be, where we should buy them from, what we should feed them how we should water them, there was opinions about every single one of these things. And it wasn't just that. There were differing opinions about every single subject. The Peruvians would even start arguing with each other about what they were telling us. And we're just sitting there going, wow. Everyone in the orphanage or who came through the orphanage had some opinion about this. And even like the guy who was delivering propane tanks had to stop and tell us something. Like, <laughs> it's like, okay. Now, the reality is, if we'd actually kind of listened to all this advice, it would have been the most disastrous project ever recorded at New Hope Orphanage. Because, like I said, you know, half the information we received contradicted the, the previous half of information that we had. And, but we had opinion after opinion after opinion about this project. Now, Matt, he's one of the missionaries down there. Uh, he kind of told us, he said, yes. Everyone has opinions, so what you have to do is you simply have to just listen to them, nod your head, and when they leave, just do whatever you want to do. Because the reality is, is they have a strong opinion about it, but they certainly weren't going to stick around and help you with their kind of opinion and their choice in the matter. They were going to go on. Now, this Kui project in Peru is like many projects, tasks that we attempt to accomplish in life. Whether it's a new project, a task, a relationship, a new job, it seems like everyone, and especially this day and age, it seems like everyone has an opinion, don't they? Can y'all relate to that? And especially like in your life, people have opinions about what you should do, except they're not going to sit around and help you try to figure that out. <laughs> they just think you should be doing this. You know, if you're like me, when you're dealing with a hard question or problem in life, it's amazing the number of places I'll go to get information, to solve a problem, to understand a question, except the one place I should go, and that's to God, to find the answer that I need. You know, this morning we're going to be looking at this trait 
of seeking God first in David. And uh, it's, this trait was a staple in the life of David in almost everything he attempted and everything that he did. And in seeking God in all things, we're going to look at this morning, it's a continuation on in this um, sermon series that we're doing and looking at the life of David called Grace Changes Everything. And secondary, I hope to be the, the first uh, sermon in the United States that ever connects Kui with David. So maybe, you know, you're, you're making history here, folks. So, so our passage this morning is uh, 1 Samuel 37 through 9. And uh, we'll get to this in a minute, a a specific section of it, but if you want to turn your Bibles to it. Um, This is a period in David's life, just to kind of set this up a bit. Uh, He had fled to Gath, which is in Philistine territory, because he knew Saul was chasing after him. And if you followed the sermon series in the last few weeks, Saul, King Saul, had been chasing David and wanted to kill him because he was afraid that David was going to take over his throne. So... Once David went to Gath, which was enemy territory, he knew that Saul wouldn't pursue him there. So Saul, once he learned that David was in Gath, he he called off the pursuit, and he kind of went back to Israel. At this particular moment where this scene is kind of unfolding, um, the Philistines and the Israelites are about to go back to battle. They're about to do battle. So David, being in the Philistine territory, he got his men, and he went to the Philistine king ready to go to battle against the Israelites. But once he got there, so he had about 600 men with him. The other kind of lords and rulers of the Philistine territory saw David, and they knew his reputation preceded him. Once they saw David, they're like, no way we're going to battle with him. Because what happens if the, if the Israelites start winning and he just turns on us? Now, King Achish of the, of the Philistines, he liked David. He wanted him to go to battle with him. But once all these leaders came to him, he went to David and said, look, I can't have you going to battle. You just need to go home. You know, I, I disagree with this, but I think it's the right thing to do. And so he sent David back home. Now, it was during this time, because he was several days away from where he was living in Gath, that the Amalekites raided the town of Ziklag, which is where he was specifically. And as they raided this town, they took everything. It says they didn't kill anyone but they took all of David and all of David's men's spouses, wives, children, livestock, everything, and, and took them away. And so this is what David and his men were coming back to. Now, you have, what you have to re- remember about David's men is they've been extremely loyal up to this point. There's about 600 men. They've followed him through the wilderness, through caves, through deserts. Now they're living in enemy territory. And for the most part, they did this without complaint. But this was the kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. They were ready to stone David at this point. They're like, they've had enough. This is it. Like, we've lost everything. What are you going to do about it? <clears throat> so this is the point that, that David was at this, in his crying out to God or whether or not he should pursue him. And so this is where we kind of see just a recap of this scripture it says that David said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod, which is kind of the prayer vest that they wore at the time. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired to the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And God answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, 
where they were left behind and they stayed. So that's kind of what this scene is and what the scripture is looking at. And this is all unfolding in 1 Samuel 30 right now. But to shape this up a little more, you have to remember we have these scenes of David kind of playing the harp and kind of this gentle little man. David was a warrior. David was not someone you want to tangle with. He was a warrior first and foremost when we look at what he did. And even at this time, he was, you know, he went on to be one of the greatest warriors of the time, probably the greatest warriors we've ever known. But at this time, like I said, his reputation preceded him. People knew who he was. He had slayed giants. He had taken out entire towns, leaving nothing behind. The, the, the rulers at the time knew who he was. They were writing songs about his exploits and the number of people that he had killed. So you have to understand he's a warrior. So, you know, men and women, let me ask you this, especially if you have kids and you're married. If, if your family and all your possessions have been taken from you and you had the God-given talent, means, ability, and resources to go get them back, I mean, this is kind of what you were bred for, what would you do? What would you do? You'd go get them. You would go after them. It would not be a thought for me. If my, I came home, my wife and children, everything I owned was gone, you set off after them. But this isn't what David did. This wasn't what he immediately did, which is why it's important to look at this passage. Instead of immediately going after him, he called for the priest, and he asked the Lord if he should pursue them. Like, think about that question for a moment. Hey, God, should I go get my wife and children back? I mean, that seems like a strange question, doesn't it? But think of it. How many times in your own life do you chase after problems without seeking God because it makes sense? Because it seems logical. Because it seems like, you know what, this is the right thing to do. You jump in with both feet because, of course, this is what God would want for you to do, right? Yet here's David in a situation which is pretty dire. He has the exact right God-given gifts to solve this problem. But before doing anything, he seeks guidance from God. But this is what David did. He sought God. The seeking of God's guidance in his life was a mainstay. If we look at different places in First First and Second Samuel, um, in First and Second, in First Samuel twenty-three verses one through fourteen, we see David seeking out God four different times, asking him if he should go to war, asking him again if he should go to war. Is Saul going to come after him? Are the people going to turn him over to Saul? He's asking God these questions. In Second Samuel two, he's asking God where he should go live. In 2 Samuel 5, he's asking God if he should fight against the Philistines. And then later on in verse 5, he's asking him again, should he attack him? In 2 Samuel 21, he's asking God, you know, to understand why this famine or drought is happening in the land. David constantly and consistently sought the Lord and sought his guidance, almost everything in his life. And yes, there were some places where he missed the mark, and we'll discuss that in a bit. And then he failed miserably, but for the most part, this was a pattern in David's life. David sought God's advice on whether to fight or whether to run, where to live, why certain things were happening. Even when David had the strength and ability to solve a problem, he sought God. When I read this passage, I know the challenge for me, and kind of what I've been kind of seeking lately, 
is when do you cry out to God and when do you use your own strengths and gifts? Because God has given us all unique strengths, ability, gifts, and talents to use for his kingdom. And we need to use them wisely, just like David did. Because David didn't, you know, David didn't sit back and say, God, do I just need to sit here and wait till you bring them back to me? His, his prayer was, should I pursue them? Should I use my gifts for this purpose? Instead of just sitting around waiting for something to happen. You know, because we do have these gifts and God wants to use them for that purpose. But when I look at these stories of David, and kind of like what Scott talked about last week too, where there's a situation where Saul and David, uh, and David kind of snuck up on Saul a couple times and could have killed him and kind of taken care of that, st- that situation, kind of taken care of these, these pursuits, but he didn't. He waited on God. And so I, I want to ask this question. And I don't really have three points neatly tied up in a bow this week, but it's really this one question. If we're truly going to follow Christ and live like him and take the examples of David and Paul and Christ, then when should we be taking our burdens and cares before the Lord? When should we be crying out to God? What do you think? Someone said it a little louder. Always. It'll make it easy for you. We have it up here too. Always. That's it. It's easy. We should be seeking and asking God for guidance and seeking his wisdom all the time in the good times and bad, big things and little, an ever-present dialogue even with the minutia of our lives. To understand this a little better, I've asked John and Carrie, could y'all come up with it? As much as they may not want to. But I figured if I asked for volunteers, no one would come, so... Is this on? Yeah. Introduce yourselves to everyone, please. I'm Carrie O'Neill. Is that on? I'm John O'Neill. The green light's on. There we go. Now it is. All right, so I got a couple of questions for you two. Because we'll start with John. So, (laughs) So, So, John, and this is a multiple choice question, so I'm trying to make it easy as possible. So how many hours in a week should you show love and care to carry? And, and to make this easy, okay, it's multiple choice. So is A, should you show love and care two to five hours a week? Should you, B, should you show love and care six to 15 hours a week? Or C, always? And now don't, like, before you answer, you, you, just, to, just to make sure you answer correctly, you can phone a friend or ask the audience, Okay. I think I'm going to go with C. Okay, good. All right. Because, yeah. Because the second answer said, if you didn't answer C, you would have A, slept on the couch, B, slept at a friend. No. Uh, so, uh, what do you think would happen in your marriage if you don't show love and care always? What, what, what do you think would happen to, to that relationship? You know, I think it would start to deteriorate. It I think start. there would be distance that would happen and uh, the intimacy mm-hmm. that hopefully is there. Yeah. Would uh, begin to go away. Right. Okay. Good answer. All right. Carrie, your question. How would you feel if you're only shown love one day a week? And, and, th- and you knew, like Sunday mornings from 8.30 to 10, he, you had his undivided attention. As long as it wasn't good weather or, you know, there wasn't fishing going on. How would you feel? Football. Or football going on, yeah. The, the Sooners weren't playing, so... Yeah. 
Unvalued. Unvalued. That's a good word. Yeah. Is that a word? <laughs> Unvalued? For today it is. Okay. So. <laughs> uh, rejected for mm. the most part. Yeah. D- does this type of intention in a relationship come easy or is it work? It's work. It's work. Okay. So with that understanding, what we're talking about as a general question, how do you think God feels if we're only showing our love one day a week? Mm. And anyone can answer. How do you think God feels about that? Sad? I like the unvalued and rejected. So, thank you very much for your... Scott has some prizes for you, so... (laughs) So, I have some nice parting gifts for you. (laughs) Whoa, who has those? Oh, I'm going to have to share afterwards. (laughs) <laughs> so think about this for a moment because I, I think this is how we treat God sometimes just like John and Carrie talked about it's like asking ourselves hmm, when should I love my spouse you know Monday mornings those aren't very good but Thursday afternoons man I think those work really well I think that would be a good time for me to love my spouse it doesn't really work that way if, if, if you heard someone talking that way about their spouse Man, you would think, you know, well, the first thing you think is like, gosh, I wonder when they're going to be single. Probably pretty soon here. Because it's not working out. Because that's kind of what makes the whole scenario of marriage work. Is that love and that care and that commitment and that intentionality with each other. But I think this is probably what it sounds like to God sometimes. When we're talking to Him or, or we're spending time with Him. Is that we seek Him when it's convenient for us. When, on our timing. Or when we have time. Because the three excuses I hear most from people about not spending time with God is, I'm too busy or too distracted. Kind of the same thing, depending upon if it's organized or not. I'm too tired, which usually comes from the first problem. Or three, I don't know what to do. I I don't know what to do when I spend time with God. Like, how long would your relationship work of any kind if you kept using those excuses? Well, sweetie, I'd love to spend time with you, but, you know, I'm tired. You know, I'd love to spend time with you, but I, I don't know what to do when I'm around you. That would work out really well, wouldn't it? <laughs> but these are kind of, this is kind of what it's like. This is kind of what we're doing when we're spending time with God. You know, we, we desperately want God to answer the big questions in our lives, like jobs, careers, moving, relationships. But what about the small things? We want to hear God with these big requests, and we do take them to God because we want to hear from Him. Yet we don't take the simple stuff, the daily questions of life, like, how should I build a cooey cage? Do I bring that before God? Should I buy that shirt? Should I have coffee with that person? Should I take on this new project? You know, have we prayed for healing from the cold before we prayed for healing for the cancer? On a basic level, we've not built up a lifestyle of living in Christ like David and learning to hear his voice, the voice of the shepherd and recognize it, in order to hear Christ on a constant and consistent basis. Now, hearing from God is kind of a whole separate message, so I'm not going to talk about that much today, but it's the same concept of getting to that point as we go through these uh, next few steps Just like you have to learn your spouse's love language, their moods, what they really mean when they say certain things, 
Like when you ask where you want to eat and they say, I don't care. They really do care, right? It's learning those things is a process. It takes time to cultivate. And there's no shortcut. There's no pill. There's no magic potion to make all this magically appear. It takes work, dedication, intentionality to live your life and take your request to God. So the question becomes, how do we cultivate a life of living in Christ and hearing from God? And this is where the three steps come in, the, the three points. In case y'all were scared, I didn't have any. I do have some. <laughs> and there's definitely more here, but I think these are three kind of foundational ones we can work with and kind of learn what, how do we come before God. And so the first one is kind of the most obvious. If we're going to live a life in, in seeking out God, we have to actually seek God. We have to seek Him in what we're doing. Not just on Sundays, but all day, every day, in all things. This is the action on our part. And we see this, the, the neat thing about the Psalms in First and Second Samuel, is First and Second Samuel, you kind of see the action of what David's doing. And when you overlay the Psalms on top of that, you see kind of David's responses. His, his, his crying out to God, his praising God, his thankfulling God, his, him asking questions to God. And it's this constant, just everything of life that David does is seeking God. And, and some quick examples we see in, in Psalm 63, in verse 1, we see God, him seeking God in the morning. In verse 6, he's meditating on his word. In Psalms 23 and 73, he's praising God's truth and reality. And we can kind of see this carried over to the New Testament. It's the same type of thought that Jesus talked about in Mark twelve thirty, And you should love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. How much of it? How, how much? Okay, okay. Just to be clear. And it, it's also the same too in, in, in um, Luke nine twenty three when Jesus talks about daily taking up your cross to follow him. So how often? Daily. Not something you do some days or sometimes. In First Thessalonians five seventeen, Paul talks about praying without what? Ceasing. Do you see a theme? All right got a master class going on here you're sticking with it see if we put these scriptures together we see a life lived daily taking up our cross seeking god in the morning and, and meditating on his word and daily taking up our cross to, to find him and seek him and loving him with all our heart all our soul all our mind and all our strength that's kind of it that's what we're talking about here that's all it in one sentence. It's the foundational strength and purpose of what God is calling to us. And our responsibility is to seek God. The second step to cultivate a life is to, in constantly seeking God is to live a life above reproach. Now, on Thursday morning in our men's Bible study, we've been kind of going through the, this, um, these stories of David as well. And every time we bring up these different stories, these different settings, this one theme kept on coming up. And we kept on bringing up. And that was, that was the fact that David was a man of character. He had integrity. And he, he was pretty much selfless in a lot of his actions. Um, now again, he, he kind of blew it with uh, Bathsheba and Uriah and the census. And there were consequences to pay for, pay for that. But for the most part, for a king who had ultimate power, he was very humble at times. And he made very selfless decisions on multiple occasions. And it's something that we should be looking at and understanding because we can't miss what's happening here. 
Because in our own lives, if we want to cultivate a life in Christ, then we too need to be attempting to live a life above reproach. I believe the two go hand in hand. Because if we're, if we're living in Christ and we're living a, a life that's foundationally built on Him, then we're making decisions based upon that. But, it, you know, if we're lying and cheating and disrespectful and, and not honorable in, in our approach to things, we're probably going to struggle hearing from God. doesn't mean it's impossible, but we're not putting ourselves in a place to listen to Him. We see some characteristics of someone who is above reproach in 1 Timothy 3, and this is where... Paul's really talking about uh, some elders and some, de- um, some deacons in the church, but I think they play out here. It says a person should be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, manage their household well. Because if you can't manage your own household, how can you care for God's church? They must be well thought of outsiders and not fall in disgrace. Seeking God is how we will learn and understand how to live a life above reproach. Character is not something that can be legislated, that can be controlled. It's something that comes internally. It's not something we're going to learn off YouTube videos or Netflix. But through the Word of God, of what it truly means. But it's what we're called to, to live a life of character and honor. And the two go hand in hand in seeking God with everything that we have. Now, the last step to constantly seeking God is you need to cultivate a lifestyle. Now, seeking God is not something you do when needed. It's a lifestyle meant to be lived in a constant pursuit of God. This is how David lived his life. He didn't have his home life and his church life. I guess in his case, it would be his temple life and palace life, something very different. But the two were just, it was just life. And that's how he lived it with God at the center of everything he did and everything that he pursued. This is a man that, that, remember, as king, he had no problem dancing down the streets because the Ark of the Covenant was coming back into town because he was so ecstatic at the blessing that God had given him, that the Ark was coming back into town. You know, we sing, we sing that song uh, at the first, Shout It from the Mountains. Uh, help me with the words. Pardon? Yeah, we shout it from the mountains, we shout it from the valley. Then how does it go? But he is God. But he is God. There we go. <laughs> but we sing, we sing that song, yeah. Get there, keep the worship team on the front row. We sing that song, and it's a great song. But are we willing to believe it like David? to dance in the streets because of what God is doing, to shout it from the mountains because he is God. Most of the time, we're scared to tell people we even go to church. What are you doing, Sonny? Well, I got a thing. I got something going on. But this is David. We don't know when to ask God for guidance because we separate our lives out too much. This is my work. This is my business. This is my family or recreational that's not God's. That's mine. I'll make those decisions. You entrepreneurs, you are the worst out there, let me tell you. This is my business, my life. I got it handled. Instead of going, God, what do we do today? How do we handle this today? How do we live today? This is what we're called to. But we've not cultivated a lifestyle where God is truly at the center of all we do and all we seek. And because God's at the center, 
it makes perfect sense for us to seek guidance if he is at the center of everything we do and everything we say. You know, Paul tells us in Colossians 3.17, if you can put this up here, and I want you to read this with me. So read this with me. So, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So when should we we be doing everything? Just sometimes or do what? Some of the things we do or... Okay, we're getting it. That's good. The absolute key here, folks, is probably the biggest miss of our own lives and as a church and follower of Christ is we haven't cultivated a lifestyle of living in Christ for his purpose and his pursuit. And this is what you have to understand about David and his ability to cry out to the Lord is he didn't decide on this day when he lost everything and his men wanted to kill him that, gosh, now would be a great time to go before God. I mean, it absolutely was. But this was a pattern, a habit, and a constant process he had been cultivating for years. David crying out to God in this moment was expected. It was a natural reaction to the circumstances of devastation. For David crying out to God wasn't his last thought. It was his first thought. This is something we cannot miss. We tend to cry out to God in the bad times of life because we're desperate. And in some cases, we're at the end of our rope and don't know what else to do. So the last resort, we cry out. But what we haven't done is what David did, constantly and consistently cultivating a lifestyle which revolved around God. Getting up in the morning, meditating on his word, praising his great name, crying out to him in times of uncertainty and confusion. This was David's life and how he lived. And this is what we should be doing. And if you don't hear anything else, listen to this. It's living a life in what David did is the fact that the intensity, the consistency, the timing and urgency of our prayers don't change because of our circumstances. That regardless of what's going on in our lives, good or bad, we're crying out and praising God. So for your Monday morning factor, what I want you to think about this morning as you leave this place, as you go out into the world tomorrow and start your job, for you grads, you start something brand new adventures, I want you to think about this. What do you need to do to cultivate a lifestyle of seeking God in everything you do? Think about what do you need to do. And secondly, uh, secondly, I want you to think about what's stopping you from cultivating that life. Because if we truly want to change the world and we truly want to make a difference, it's going to start with seeking God in everything that we do. Let's pray. Lord God, I just want to thank you for this time. Thank you for this time together. I just want to thank you for the example we have in David of what it truly looks like to praise you, to seek you, to be in you with our all in all. I just uh, pray over the people here. I pray that as we leave this place, Lord God, that we could kind of stop looking at the world so much and start looking at you more and how to live our lives and what our lives should look like in everything we say and do. Just be with us in this day. Be with us in our seeking of you. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Have a great day.